The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Wits University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, the senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, today we're going to be looking at the Ghana Sinohydro China infrastructure for bauxite deal. Now, this is a very, very complicated deal, but it has caught the attention of a lot of people because it's very, very controversial uh, for a number of different reasons. But at the same time, there's a lot of excitement at least among the government in Ghana, about the potential of unlocking massive amounts of bauxite in order to build uh, badly needed infrastructure. Let me refresh you very quickly on what this deal is and some of the highlights before we get into the details today. Uh, This is all part of an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding, that was signed between the two countries last year, and Beijing is going to provide $2 billion worth of roads, rail, bridges, and in exchange... Uh, Ghana will give access to 5% of the country's bauxite reserves. Now, that's a huge amount because they have found tremendous amounts of reserves similar to what they have in Guinea, where there's a much larger deal right now, but also an infrastructure for resources deal. Now, the deal has a lot of people excited because it's going to be able to bring badly needed infrastructure. Again, that's something that Ghana desperately needs, like a lot of places in Africa. But at the same time, it is also going to potentially endanger uh, the Atiwa Forest Reserves. And there are about 5 million people who depend on the water that's in those reserves. And there's concern that it will contaminate. There's also concerns about the debt and whether or not this was the best way to use these bauxite reserves by going into a fixed price deal rather than going out onto the open market. Copus, what's interesting in some ways, this is a throwback deal that we've seen over the past 10 years of the infrastructure for resources deals, which we have heard that Chinese stakeholders have said they want to get away from. And it's the same kind of deal that Africans have also said that maybe this isn't the most sustainable in terms of debt. It's a lot like what we saw in Angola, where they they traded their oil for, uh, for infrastructure, and now they're trying to get away from that. So in some ways, it's a little bit of a you know, a throwback Thursday type of China-Africa deal. Yes, and and that makes that itself makes it controversial. You know, because the because those deals have been have been criticised a lot in the past. Um, not not least because uh, fluctuating commodity prices tend to then lock African countries into sometimes paying a lot more to repay the deal than they had planned. You know, it 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 it's a very difficult question, and because the deal is so complicated, it kind of turns almost into a kind of a Rorschach test. You know, so everyone is looking at the deal, sees their own preoccupations, be they debt, be they environmental, be they dependency and influence, um, and you know, so it raises a lot of controversy. And it's one of those things that I think you and I, looking from afar, have been struggling to figure out what are the merits of the deal if it makes sense. Uh, and there was, you know, it all kind of came to par in part because. Uh, about two weeks ago, Vice Premier uh, Sun uh, Chunlan came to Accra and she released the first tranche of funding worth about $650 million. So this deal is now 
in motion. And because it's in motion, we wanted to get a perspective and uh, to help us kind of sort it out. So we reached out to an economist based in Accra who's been following the, the, the details very, very closely and has a better viewpoint than we do. Emmanuel Amwadakwa is, again, an economist based in, in Accra and comments a lot about this in the media. And we are so thrilled to have you. Emmanuel, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Eric and Cole. Okay, you heard me kind of talk about the the big picture part of this deal. Yeah. Um, what about this do we not understand the, from the outside looking in, both in terms of why the government decided to pursue a classic infrastructure for resources deal and how the government is, is dismissing concerns about debt. We'll get into debt a little bit more in detail later in the program, but why don't you just, let's start our conversation with your understanding of the deal and why you think it's important or not. Thank you very much uh, once again. Um, it's about two interests at play, the interest of China and then the interest of Ghana. China is after resources. Ghana is also after infrastructure. And for us to reach a deal, we have to make some, or go into an agreement. And that is why the government of Ghana signed this deal purposely for infrastructure worth $2 billion, uh, to be produced by Sino-Hydro. And this is the way we are going to go about it. We have bauxite reserves. The government says that I'm going to set up a bauxite refine, aluminum refinery you know, industry. We are going to produce uh, refined aluminum, which we are going to use to pay uh, for the infrastructure worth two billion. So the interest at play here is infrastructure for Ghana and the resources for China on the other hand, purposely for infrastructure. Of course, there have been concerns about the cost of going for this infrastructure vis-a-vis uh, -vis the two forests and other reasons that are going to be affected in the process of getting what we need to pay for the infrastructure that is going to be produced by uh, Sino-Hydro. Um, just in terms of the in terms of the cost that you mentioned, there is the the environmental cost. But I I read reporting um, that I actually want to just fact check with you um, that it it has the potential to also uh, affect Ghana's cocoa farmers. And obviously, Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire are the two biggest uh, producers of cocoa um, in the world. Um, and it's it's a it's a massive part of the Ghanaian economy. Um, so is 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 cocoa production being endangered by the steel potentially? Uh, looking at the area demarcated for this extraction, the Tiwa forest is a pure reserve forest cover. So I, I don't have any data about the number of cocoa trees there. But to the best of my knowledge, cocoa is not going to be affected. Uh, looking at the two sites demarcated for this deal, both in the western region and the eastern region of Ghana, not that I have heard and not that I have gone to know that uh, cocoa production is going to be affected in this deal. Okay, so we've, la we've laid out the two sides, what their interests are. Ghana wants the infrastructure, and it doesn't want to pay for it in cash, so it'll use bauxite uh, and resources to do it. Again, this is an old playbook that, uh, that Ghana's using. Uh, and then the Chinese clearly want access to the bauxite. Okay, we've established that much. In your view, when you look at this deal, is this a good deal for Ghana? Is this the way that Ghana should be going about leveraging its bauxite reserves or would Ghana get a better deal 
by just taking the bauxite and putting it out onto the open market, generating cash from that, and then using that cash to buy infrastructure and to pay for it. I mean, there are other ways to do this. So in your view, tell me, do you think this is the best way for Ghana to be going about doing this? For me, from the environmental point of view, this is not the best way because looking at the uh, the amount of environmental degradation that is going to affect the country, I don't think it's it's a good deal for Ghana. More importantly, in an era of climate change, and it is estimated that about five million Ghanaians are going to have their water resources polluted when we go ahead with such a deal. I think there are other creative things that we can do. Uh, just, just to be fair, though, hold on, I'm sorry, just to be fair, that is the high end of the estimate which the government disputes, by the way. So I just want to put that in there. That 5 million number is a very high number, but the government has disputed that number. So sorry to interrupt you on that. I just wanted to make sure I, I put that out there. Even if, it is, even if it is 2 million people, that is still <laughs> it's true. huge. That's yeah, a lot of people. That's true. Change. Yeah. So the the point is, we, because of climate change and where we find ourselves, uh, I think this is not the way to go because of the environmental cost. Of course, we are saying that we have bauxite at where the forest is also located. Can we look at creative ways of looking at ecotourism to raise such an amount of money to fund our infrastructure? That is also a viable option that we could have explored. But either than going into the Etiwa forest, where we have about three rivers flowing through the Brim, Dayensu, and then the Dinsu River flowing through, and looking at the cost of water pollution we are going to incur in the future, I don't think it's the best deal for Ghana. We could have, you know, look at other ways of looking at the forest reserve and having a more ecotourism around that forest. And estimated we can make some good money to embark on the infrastructure that we need at this point. Do you think, though, that ecotourism can generate $2 billion? I mean, I mean, let's be real here. I mean, on the one hand, I understand what you're saying. Environmentally, there's a very high cost. But talking to the government, they will tell you that infrastructure is expensive. We need the cash quickly. I mean, ecotourism would take years, if not decades, to build up. And here the Chinese have written a check for $649 million that's in the bank account right now. So, I mean, people have needs today that need to be satisfied. And, and so I'm just wondering, uh, yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but there are real world kind of considerations that need to be taken into account here. Yeah, that's why before you embark on a project, you have to do a cost-benefit analysis. And I assume that if the finance minister sits with the environmental uh, you know, minister and to talk about this deal, they are going to all make their point. So the finance minister is going to make a point from, we need money for infrastructure. The minister for environment is also going to make an argument that we have to protect our environment. But the long-term benefit of this project is what I'm looking at. It's not about what we need now. Of course, so there are so many other avenues that we can explore to get to billion Ghana City. Do you know how much we lose through illicit trade flows? Do you know how much we lose through tax exemptions? Do you know how much we lose through corruption? These are all avenues that if we really want money to embark on infrastructure, I think there are other creative wins and then we have to do the hard work to get the money we need for infrastructure development. But assistance now from the environmental point of view and the current distance we find ourselves in, I don't think this is a viable deal for Ghana. 
Um, one question about the deal. Um, why is it that everyone just naturally assumes that that you know that the pollution impact is going to be so massive? Like, you know, aren't there aren't there ways to mitigate that pollution and to make sure that it isn't as as polluting as now predicted? Research has shown that bauxite causes a lot of degradation to environment, and I don't have I can't call statistics as I speak to you now. But the environmental pollution to this is or to our to our forest is going to be massive, and this is what we are concerned about as a people. And going forward, we need infrastructure, but we have, can have creative ways of getting infrastructure other than you know going into this uh, forest to mine bauxite. I think it's interesting that you talked about all the different ways that the government can do to kind of tighten up their finances in order to capture more of the value and the revenue that is seeping out of the country, either through corruption, either through lax borders, lax customs and whatnot. That being said, uh, let's talk about fiscal management. And this is this is related to the Sino-Hydro deal in part because there are concerns that this deal will push up the debt. Now, already the debt is at 63% of GDP. Uh, that puts Ghana now in the top tier, uh, you know, in the kind of distressed category. Anything over 50%, the IMF starts to get worried about that. So we're in, yeah. we're in the red zone a little bit here. We're not quite where we are in Djibouti, where it's 90% of, uh, of GDP. I think those numbers are very, very high. And also in Kenya, it's starting to push up. So... Uh, 63%. Now, a couple weeks ago, uh, Finance Minister Ken Aforiata, he presented his uh, his budget for 2020. He's going to increase spending by 21%. He's going to increase higher public sector wages. And he's going to spend more on infrastructure. Uh, and on top of that, he says he wants to go out and raise $3 billion on the international debt market. Yeah. You know, I mean, I read these things and you just kind of, you know, your heart sinks a little bit because it was only in 2015 that the IMF bailed out Ghana for the last time. And yeah. I just want to get your t your take on this because, and this is where interesting politics start to come in. Tibor Neji, who is the uh, Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs in the United States at the State Department there, he has gone on record many, many times saying that the United States will not support IMF bailouts of countries that get into debt distress in part because they borrow too much from China. Now we have a situation where Ghana is getting into bed with Sino-Hydro for a $2 billion deal. We might find ourselves in a position of debt distress where the Chinese aren't going to bail you out and the IMF, because under U.S. pressure, will say, eh, and your borrowing rates just skyrocket. So that's the that's the landscape we're looking at right now. I'd like to get your take on where you th where you think it all it's all going with that all in mind. Sure. Uh, for the Sino-Hydro deal, um, as it stands now, it's not going to add up to our public debt, uh, which is in excess of two hundred billion in Ghana cities because of the financing arrangements. It's going to we are going to finance that uh, two billion wood aluminium, refined aluminium. So that is not going to add up to our public debt. But that's notwithstanding, our public debt is just skyrocketing because Ghana became a lower middle country in 2000 and 
10, and which means that we are not going to have access to concessional financing and grants and all that. It means that government will have to go onto the capital market if it wants to raise additional funding. And that is what we have seen, especially since 2010. This year, government had to raise $3 billion and going to raise another $3 billion in the coming year. It means that public debt is going to go up. Now, the big question is, why do we go to borrow? We go to borrow because we are not mobilizing a lot of revenue. If you look at the revenue target for this year, 58 billion Ghana City, we are definitely going to miss that target for a number of reasons. For some of the other benchmark values, which has been reduced at the port, uh, there are a lot of also other tax exemption policies, so we still be is a drain on the revenue mobilization aspect and other things. On the expenditure side, uh, we, we do spend a lot on recurrent expenditure vis-a-vis the capital expenditure because capital expenditure is what, what is going to deliver the roads, the bridges, the rails that we need at this moment. And if you look at capital expenditure now, it's around 2.2% of GDP. And even wages and compensation to workers are in excess of you know, 5.7%. That is even interest rate payments. And then compensation to uh, employees, it's it's about 6.6%. So it tells you that we are spending more on the recurrent side at the sense of, uh, you know, the capital expenditure side. What we have to do is to mobilize a lot of revenue so that we're able to deliver uh, on the promises that governments have promised to, especially on the infrastructure side. And that is what is going to get out, out of this the distress situation we find ourselves in. Uh, let me mention that Ghana just exited the IMF program in April 2019 after having a four-year extended credit facility with the IMF, which granted us about $918 million to support our balance of payment. And it looks like on the other macroeconomic indicators, we are doing well, but public debt to GDP and the size of public debt and how much we are spending on uh, interest payment is still on the high side. That is why we have to find creative ways of mobilizing a lot of revenues and also rationalizing our expenditure so that we stay within you know, the reasonable bracket of public debt and then public debt to GDP ratio. Support for this podcast comes from the Africa Channel Reporting Project at Wits University School of Journalism in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops, and other professional development opportunities for both African and Chinese journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at WitsChinaAfrica or visit africachinareporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars. Um, how is this deal playing politically in Ghana? I mean, you know, the the, the very factor that, that of millions of people's water supply being polluted is one thing. But, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, over the last year or two that... That in that deals that tend to really increase Chinese leverage in particular African countries like in, in Zambia turned out to then be very unpopular in those countries. How, like, what is the kind of political fallout of this agreement in Ghana? For the political aspect of it, you know, the NDC, which is in the minority, is asking for further and better particulars of the deal agreement. And then the MPP is also saying that this is what is going to help us. But in terms of politics, what happens in Ghana is that if you go in for such a deal with another country and you don't set the grounds right, and when there is a change of government, it's going to affect the deal itself. And that is why 
there should be some level of consensus between the majority and the minority on the way forward in terms of financing infrastructure so that when there's a change of government, the terms and conditions attached to this particular deal will, will not be affected. Once it's affected, it's going to affect the infrastructure that the, uh, you know, the Chinese are also going to give on to uh, you know, the Ghanaians. And let's also bear in mind that with all our natural resources and what we export to the international community, we are just price stickers. It's about how much the commodities costing on the international market that will determine how we also sell it. So we are price stickers. When there are fluctuations on a particular commodity, it means that we will have to exploit more of that commodity to pay this deal. So that is those are some of the things that we have to bear in mind if we are doing all these kind of um, resource-backed lending. And for the political aspect, uh, there's not that much consensus. The minority would have asked for a better deal, but the majority is saying that this is what we need at this moment. Now, staying with the politics here, it's interesting because I'm not picking up the kind of hostility in Ghana about this deal towards the Chinese that you see in Zambia or in Kenya, for example, about the controversies related to the standard gauge railway loans. In Angola, people are frustrated with the Chinese because of the way that the oil for infrastructure deals have created a capital crisis. So much of Angola's oil is tied up in the infrastructure deals that they literally are not generating enough cash to get into the economy and inflation's going up. But yet in Ghana, we're not seeing, at least I'm not seeing a lot of the hostility, any of the anti-Chinese type of rhetoric. Uh, what is the view towards the Chinese on this deal uh, and, and the general sentiment towards the Chinese? Or is there really – they're just a secondary actor here and the focus is more on the government. What, how, how do the Chinese factor into all of this? Okay. Um, this is not the first time we are doing this uh, natural resource back lending. Uh, in uh, somewhere 2006, 2007, we had to you know, build a new dam called the new Bui Dam, which was uh, – we use cocoa for for that lending, and you know it was the Chinese was able to complete the deal, and we were able to have that infrastructure. But as it stands now, there's not much hostility against the Chinese in Ghana, but we are concerned about some of the details of the deal. So in this, we are talking about Sino-Hydro. We are concerned about the level of uh, degradation that is going to happen to our environment, those kind of things. Those are the things. But it's not as if uh, Ghanaians, the general sentiment in Ghana is not like as if they are very hostile to the Chinese, but sometimes they are skeptical about the Chinese and how they deliver on their project and the timing they give, uh, you know, on their project. Are they able to deliver on time when they set up to do a project? That is the general sentiment now, but it's not like uh, as, you know, aggressive as it is in other uh, African countries. You know, the, the one, one of the questions that, that frequently comes up um, in relation to these deals is how it will increase Chinese leverage in, in the country and in the region. Um, what is your thinking about, about what the, the impact of that will be in, in Ghana? Will China gain more of a foothold and more, of a, more influence in Ghana? The way this deal is structured, government is going to, in the next three years, Establish an aluminium, you know, industry. Government is going to appoint its own partner in this uh, industry. 
so that it, it is devoid of what people will say the Chinese influence so that Ghana can decide to give this aluminium industry to maybe the US or UK or even Korea and then once you exploit the bauxite you refine it we sell and then get the monies to the Chinese so all that the Chinese we are going to give them is the money but not the bauxite per se we are going to give them the aluminium the refined aluminium which is going to be sold on the international market and the money will be uh, given to the Chinese so it's it doesn't give a lot of leverage to the Chinese uh, in in this particular deal because of how it is structured all that the Chinese needs is to have their loan of two billion repaid and this is how Ghana is going to do it they are going to set up their own aluminium bauxite industry and then refine their bauxite get aluminium sell it and give the money to the Chinese so it doesn't give much leverage to the Chinese uh, as the deal stands now Okay, Emmanuel Amwadakwa is an economist and a current affairs commentator in Accra. You can tell the guy knows his stuff. If you go on Twitter and you type in his name, uh, he's all over the place. And so we are so lucky and fortunate to have had the chance to have you join us on the show today and to explain kind of this complex deal. I mean, you you really unwrapped it for us quite a bit. Uh, are you on social media, by the way? I didn't find you on Twitter. Are you? Is there a place that people can get in touch with you if they want to follow up? It's the same. Is it... Is- it's the same handle, Amwa Dakwa, and that is on Twitter. Yes, Amwa underscore Dakwa, that is on Twitter. And the Facebook, Imano Amwa Dakwa, Instagram, Amwa Dakwa. You find me everywhere. There you go. Okay, you are everywhere. And I'll, I'll make sure to put links on all of that in the show notes. Uh, we're going to follow up with you in a few months to see how the deal is going and to kind of, you know, let's track and see what's going on here because this is such an interesting experiment, both environmentally sure. Uh, We didn't get to the issue of transparency, which is another concern that people have. And then, of course, related to the debt issue. So a lot is happening in Ghana right now. And uh, Emmanuel is following it all. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Eric and Kobos. Kobos, I have to be honest with you. I am really, really torn about this deal. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, I think everything that Emmanuel said, and even some of the concerns that you raised about debt about the environment, about the lack of transparency, all of it, it makes sense. And I get it. And that's certainly what the Washington Post and the New York Times and the Western media who are focusing on this deal are, they're, they're, that's the headline, is first and foremost, the negatives. But we're going to come back to the fundamental question that a policymaker in a place like Accra is wrestling with. You've got a booming population that is growing very, very quickly. If the economy needs to grow and it needs to grow fast, you got to get the infrastructure going. And so I appreciate the the suggestions of ecotourism. I think those are great. And I think he's right about, you know, there's ways of tightening up the economy, but all of those different things take a long time to do. And the Chinese money in some ways, and I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but it's like heroin. It's a quick fix. <laughs> I mean, the money, you know, they just started the negotiations on this, you know, one or two years ago, maybe, I think, according to the press reports. And here you go. You got a check in the bank for $650 million. That's fast. So you, you got to see both sides of this. And I would, I'm hoping that we'll be able to get a Ghanaian government official, I have one in mind that I'd like to invite to the show, to come on and maybe explain this to us from the Ghanaian side 
because the negatives seem to outweigh the positives. But as you pointed out, are there ways to do this in a sustainable way? Maybe, maybe not. It seems like bauxite's a pretty environmentally intense mining process. But I think we have to look at this from the point of view of the policymakers who are under tremendous pressure to build infrastructure and get these economies moving. I also find the coverage of this this kind of deal and this deal particularly a little bit frustrating in the sense that it's it's all couched in terms of the relationship between Ghana and China and you know kind of what China is getting or not getting out of the deal but what isn't made clear is that you know all of these all of these measures that that Emmanuel mentioned including including dealing with uh, with illicit financial flows and tax evasion all of those are also fights with very big, very powerful Western corporations. You know, the, the the people who are not paying tax in Africa are Western corporations. And I was in a I was in a um, uh, a briefing run by the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa, where they were talking about illicit financial flows, and they were saying like Africa loses about three billion dollars roughly from corruption, like money being sent offshore through corrupt measures um, per year, but Africa loses $50 billion a year on corporations simply evading tax. And those are big, well-known corporations that are listed in New York and in London very frequently. You know, so, so to, to discuss this, the situation is, oh, Ghana's getting more indebted to China and not asking the question about where all that money is going makes me a little crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a double standard. By the way, American companies, for example, are not even paying tax in the U.S., Amazon had a 0% tax rate. I mean, it's really so, I mean, this is not just even an African problem. This is global. I was just listening to the New York Times, the Daily Podcast, and they said FedEx now has gone into negative tax. I mean, the government's literally paying them, which is, so that's, you're, you're right. That's not one area to be focused on. And so, but again, I think this interesting dynamic with the IMF is going to be another area to keep an eye on because the U.S. has made it very clear that they don't want to be stuck in the moral hazard. That is, Africans borrow, and or maybe not even borrow, because in this case, they're not borrowing from China, but they're engaging with China, so locking up these resources in such a way that they can't sell them on the international market to maybe generate more money, and then they fall into debt distress. Uh, one other thing is that when the finance minister says he's going to raise public sector salaries, that's what happened in Zambia, and that really created a lot of problems in the future. So... I think, uh, you know, there's a lot here to watch, a lot of moving parts. This is going to be an area that we're going to stay focused on for uh, quite some time. This will be one of our big stories of, of 2020 because in so many ways it points to the future directions of China-Africa relations uh, because of the evolving infrastructure for resources deals. Those are still alive and still well. And COPE is interesting that despite all of the warnings – from the United States and even from Emmanuel Macron in France and others about getting into these types of deals, it seems like all of those warnings are falling on deaf ears. No one is listening to them. No one is paying attention. Yeah, because, because you know, those warnings don't take into account the kind of bind these governments are in, you know. Like Africa has the youngest population in the world, the fastest growing population in the world. If there isn't economic growth and infrastructure, there's going to be chaos, you know. And and the thing is, it's it's rich of um, Emmanuel Macron to warn against these deals when, you know, when the actual migrants from these areas then end up in France and, you know, kind of become the subject of kind of massive kind of racist crackdowns in France. You know, so it's like, it's yeah, I don't know. The, the, the entire discourse around this deal, I find very frustrating. 
And I would have liked to have seen in this deal because I think, remember, Ghana has some leverage here. These, this is an important resource that, that China needs. Bauxite is used to make aluminum, and aluminum is a key, key ingredient in a lot of different products. And, you know, we talked earlier in the year about the, the distant fishing fleet and the, the potential risk that that is causing and that, that, that what the Chinese are doing there, Chinese subsidized fishing fleets and linking some of these things together. So you may cause environmental degradation on one side, but you're improving sustainability on the other side. I'd like to see some, some linkage in some of these deals in the future. Uh, that may be too complicated, I know, but certainly now we're facing terrestrial environmental problems with the Chinese deal, and certainly now in the fishing fleets, as we talked about in previous shows, that too is an issue as well. These are exactly the kinds of issues that we are talking about every single day in our new daily email newsletter that goes out just for subscribers. Uh, it's we're, And it's going so fast. All of this information is going so fast that if you're just reading the normal news, and even on Twitter, you're missing it. Kobus, uh, all, you know, the past couple weeks, there's been back and forth between the Chinese embassy in Harare, Zimbabwe, and the government. That is only happening on Twitter. <laughs> and if you're not following all the various accounts, you're missing it. That's what you're getting in our newsletter. So if you want and you're really interested in this kind of material and this is what you do for a living or you're just passionate about Africa and want to find out what the Chinese are doing or passionate about China and want to see what they're doing in this very important part of the world, um, I really encourage you to sign up. Go to ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. Uh, we'll give you a free month to try it out. After a month, we'll charge you. But if you don't like it before that month, you can cancel at any time with no cost at all. So just give it on a try. Uh, once again, ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. We're having a lot of fun putting this together every day. And the feedback we're getting from a lot of folks is really good. So I think you'll really enjoy it. If you're this far into the podcast, you are a diehard. And that means you might actually really enjoy the newsletter. So that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. Uh, Kobus and I will be back again next week. If you'd like to reach us at any time, just send me an email, eric at chinaafricaproject.com. I still need to fix Kobus's email. That's an ongoing thing. That's my 2020 project, Kobus, is to get your email fixed. Uh, but you can send it to me and I'll forward it on to, to, to Kobus. I talk to him every day and uh, we'd love to be in touch with you and to hear how everything is going. And if you have any feedback, comments, questions, whatnot, critiques, we love it all. We just really enjoy talking about these issues. So for Kobus van Staten in Johannesburg, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Kobus at Stadinsky or Eric at E. Olander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China and Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com.